You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says the following. Uh, I believe it'll be on the screen this morning. I think I have this, this quote on the screen here. Um, Sin wants to remain unknown. I don't. Okay, well, sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light in the darkness of what is left unsaid. Sin poisons the whole being of a person. This can happen in the most midst of a pious community. It confesses the light of the gospel, breaks into the darkness and closed isolation of the heart. Sin must be brought into light. What is unspoken is said openly and confessed. All that is secret and hidden comes to light. It's hard struggle until the sin crosses one's lip in confession. But God breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. These words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer are full of insight into ourselves. Sin leads to shame. Sin leads to hiding. And which one of us hasn't known the the instinct to above all, the gross and humiliating things about, as, about us as deep into the darkness as we possibly can. But what we don't realize is that in trying to hide our sins, we end up hiding ourselves. And that darkness becomes a prison. But the key to our escape is usually, actually, on our own lips. The key is confession. David walked this very road, and you can read about this, and you can do this research after service today, in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. He covered up the confession. Here's what happened. David was supposed to go out to war. He was one of the kings. He was supposed to go out to, he was the king. He was supposed to go out to war and fight in a war. David decided at one moment in time to not go out to war. And so what David did was he did what all kings do. He went out on his porch one night or one day, and he's standing out on his porch just watching what's going on. And this is not weird, but it would be weird in today's world. There was a woman taking a bath on top of a house. Now you say, what in the world was she taking a bath on top of that? Well, that was common in this time. There was flat roofs. They built this kind of stuff, and it, it just happened. David not only saw the woman, He liked what he saw. He calls for Bathsheba. They go up to his room. I'm going to keep it PG PG this morning. All we know is is that she ends up pregnant. The king. A man after God's own heart. He's caught in a jam. Now, he can come clean and tell the whole world what he did, and he can tell God what he did, and he can admit to it, but that's not what David does. We read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 11. What he does is he tries to cover it up. He has Uriah come home, who's Bathsheba's husband, and he says to her, says to him, why don't you go and, you know, see your wife? Uriah, being a very... Uh, a passionate captain or, or commander-in-chief of his troops said, why would I go in and see my wife when all my guys are out there fighting this war? That is ridiculous. So he stayed outside the room all night long. 
So David realizes this isn't going to work. So then David sends for the, one of the messengers from the field. And he says, listen, when Uriah comes back out, I want you to put Uriah on the front lines. And I want you to pull back as soon as Uriah gets up there. And I want you to just watch Uriah die right in front of your faces. Now, he doesn't go into all of this, but he's basically saying that. He says, listen, I want Uriah dead. So when Uriah gets to the front of the line, I want you all to kind of take a step back. Boom, he's going to take all the shots. He's going to fall over dead. My problems are gone now. Bathsheba and I can get married. No one knows what happened. All of this happens. And in the midst, David has now become a liar, a murderer, a, a hurtful person, a scheming person, all of these things. And David's sin is still hurting him. For over nine months, he hid the scheme from God. Coveting, adultery, lying, murder, theft, despising the Lord. In fact, when you look at the Ten Commandments, there was hardly a commandment that David didn't break during that time. Again, a man after God's own heart, a king of the nation. And there he sat in the darkness, wondering what to do, until finally his friend Nathan confronts him. 2 Samuel 12. His sin crossed his lips in confession, and his confession crossed his pen. And the pen that it crossed is in Psalm 51. That's what David is writing about all through Psalm 51. You see, confession, as we see, is a beautiful grace. And it's the first key to our cleansing. It's the first key to our walking with Jesus the way we need to walk. It's the first key to cleaning up our heart. But is confession the end? Is confession all we're invited to do, or is there something more? So this morning, I want to explore some steps to restorative repentance this morning. Here's step number one. To restoration repentance, pursuing God's forgiveness. Pursuing God's forgiveness. Listen to verse one. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I want you to notice what God's forgiveness is based on. You'll see it in the scripture passage. Look at the line right underneath the first line. Your unfailing love. Friends, through the unfailing love, he blots out our transgressions. Even though David messed up big time, God's unfailing love will come through. Even though you may have messed up big time, God's unfailing love will come through. Now, living when we do, we read verse 2 different than what we would, be, would have been interpreted back then. It was there, though, that the sacrifices they made, animal sacrifices, washed away their sin. 
They would have ritualistic baths to clean themselves, spiritually speaking. We know now that that is the blood of Jesus that does that, the very thing we participated in this morning. Washes away all the sins. But I also want you to notice three nouns that are used here to describe sin. Transgressions, iniquity, and sin itself. The reasoning this is, is because he isn't focusing on just one sin. No, David realizes this is a problem in his entire life. See, what we tend to do sometimes is the exact opposite of what David does. Well, I got this problem licked, so I can go and confess this problem. And what David wants to do is he wants to show us, and he wants to show you and I, this very powerful point in Psalm 51. He wants to say to us, each of us, No, this sin, this heart of mine, never does what's right when it's left to itself. Now, we don't like to talk like that. We like to put masks on and say, you know, well, I'm pretty good except for this little anger issue I have or this little sarcasm or this little whatever or this little whatever. I'm pretty good except for this little, 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 this little, 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 little. No, you're not. No, you're not. There's nothing that draws you except for the blood of Jesus. And so when he covers these sins, he's saying, listen, I'm not just talking about the sin that I had with Bathsheba here in verse 1 and 2. I'm talking about the sin that's been a part of my life from day one. I'm talking about what, what it looks like to live in a sinful situation. Step number two to restoration repentance is this, professing our sin. Listen to David. He says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb you taught me wisdom in that secret place. David begins this traveling down by professing that he recognizes his transgressions. He's not just aware of his wrongdoings, but he's emotionally saying, I'm done with this and I want to live my life differently. Listen to what he says. I get it. It's in front of you. I get it, Lord, that you know everything. I don't know about you, but when you read verse 4, it can make me, you think, wait, didn't his sin hurt Bathsheba? Didn't his sin hurt her husband Uriah? I mean, he's dead because of it. And what about society at that moment? What What do you mean that you sinned against the Lord only? I mean, David, your sin was against the the armies who pulled back and watched their commander get shot or whatever. Your sin was against a beautiful woman who was married and happy and, as far as we know, was doing well in her marriage, and then you interrupted it as the king. What do you mean you sinned against the Lord only? 
Actually, what he's doing here, what his intent here is, is to heighten the fact that everything he did broke more covenants than he could count. And honestly, judgment isn't in the hand of society, but of God. Let me put it in 2021 terms. A lot of times we will teach people, we will teach kids not to do it because God's word says not to do it, right? I mean, that's what we've been teaching our kids, you know. It's not cool to lie because God says thou shalt not lie. But do we talk to our kids about how he, they break the heart of God when they do these things? Or do we talk about how they break our hearts? See, what David is doing here is he's heightening the issue. He's saying, this isn't just about me and Bathsheba and the society that we're in. This is about the fact that when I do this, when I commit this sin, I am committing a sin against God himself, and his heart is broken over that. This isn't just about me and my situation. This isn't just about, oh, I might have hurt a couple of people when I did this. No, this is that I broke the heart of God, my Savior. David basically says, whatever your justice requires of me is right because you are always justified in whatever you require. That's a hard pill for us Americans sometimes to swallow. Basically what David is saying is, listen, you want to take my life? That is just and that is right because you know what? I messed up big time. You want to do this, God? Your justice is right all the time when I mess up because you are a perfect God. You are one that sees this mess up and yet instead of choosing the judgment that you could, you choose a relationship with me. Whew. Whew. It's powerful. I have often wondered if this is an issue today. It's highlighted, so I got to read it. You may not like me after I read it, but that's okay. It's part of the gig when you're a pastor. I have often wondered if this is an issue today. We laugh and even scoff at sin. We don't even realize the eternal damage done by it. We don't realize the heartbreak of God by it. It's okay that I told that lie and it started a fight. Ha, ha, ha. It's okay that I did that and I broke the heart of God and I broke the heart of whatever. Ha, ha, ha. It's okay that this has changed and that has changed in our world and it's okay, you know, don't fight it because you know what? It's the way the world's going. Ha, ha, ha. And meanwhile, I wonder if God doesn't sit up in heaven sometimes and just, just weep. Do you not realize what you're doing? It's 
kind of like me as a father. Sometimes I, you know, my, both of my kids are in today, so, you know, I'm going to be careful how I say this, but when I watch them do something wrong, right in front of my eyes, my heart sinks. Do you not know what you're doing to me inside? Do you not get it that your dad doesn't just look at that as something that you just messed up? You're killing me. You're hurting me. And much like that, God the Father looks down sometimes and says, man, to me. So yeah, I can put it on my kids, but then he looks at me. Do you not realize that that move you made just now, that comment you made out of the jest of the situation, just broke someone's heart that's made in my image? Do we get it? I'm not so sure we do. Why do you say that, Pastor Brett? Because I see where some of these rules are being changed and we just seem to sit back and say, what do you want me to do about it? Why should I care? I don't know, because God does. Because God's heart breaks. Step number three is this, to restoration, to repentance. To restoration and repentance, we got to plead for his cleansing. He goes into this, this, I mean, he's writing this passionately because he's right in the midst of it. You know, he's been confronted by his friend. He doesn't know which way to turn. He knows, no, he knows which way to turn. It's to God. And here's what he says in verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. In verse 7, he's not minimizing what he did, but is actually doing a good job of self-evaluation as to realize that something in him that has been there from day one caused him to call for Bathsheba. He's not blaming his parents <laughs> and the way he was raised. He's saying there's something inside of my heart that made me want to know more and didn't let me just stop when I saw it. You do realize that the Bible could say in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and, and I know this is, this is earth-shattering for some of you, and, and that's okay, but just hear me out. He could say in chapter, seven, or chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, the Bible could read, David saw Bathsheba taking a bath, and he thought she was good-looking. But then he turned his head, and he walked away, and he went back into his palace. You do realize that's an option. That's not what it says. No, what it says is he called for his messengers and he said, see that woman down there taking the bath? 
bring her up to me. And this isn't about having tea together. <laughs> this isn't about getting to know each other. No, this is about something much, much deeper. This is not, again, blaming his parents. This is him seeing his sin for what it is, admitting that nothing good is in his heart without God. There's not a single good thing without the Lord. The Hebrew word cleanse means to be free from the effects of sin. This is David's cry throughout verses 7 through 9 of this psalm. He wants God to hide his face from David's sin, not from David, but David's sin. I want you to catch that. Again, the Hebrew word for cleanse means to free from the effects of sin. This is David's cry throughout these verses of 7 through 9. He wants God to hide his face from David, from David's sin, not from David, but David's sin. David explains sin like the crushing of bones. Like the crushing of bones. Oh, how true it is. There may be happiness in a few of the moments, but it is not lasting happiness. What do you mean by that? I mean that in a few moments... David may have forgot about the world and did some things that he chose not to do, and he may have found happiness. But after that happiness was over, his world fell apart. So it's true, the grass may be greener on the other side, but it doesn't stay green. There is eternal effects from every decision that we make. And David in Psalm 51 just clearly explains that. It's clear he's in a bad place. But listens to his words. I desire to hear joy and gladness. I desire restoration through your cleansing power. The freedom you give God. That is my desire. This cleansing is from God only. It's solely based on what that unfailing love spoken about in verse 1 is talking about. That's it. He's taking it to the bank. He's signing the deposit slip and he's saying, listen, I know that I'm going to be restored because I know that this unfailing love doesn't ever give up on me. I know, now David didn't understand the whole new covenant and all that stuff, but now we know this. We know that, yes, I may have messed up. Yes, I may have said some things, done some things that are not appropriate. I may have had the opportunity, but we know that his unfailing love will continue to run. His grace never stops. He never shuts off the faucet. If, if you would, a grace of sink, a sink of grace, and he turns on the faucets full flush. He doesn't turn them down a little bit if he didn't do devotions this morning. He doesn't turn them down a little bit if you made a, a snark remark to your husband or your wife this morning. He doesn't turn them down a little bit if you didn't do just what he wanted you to do. He doesn't turn them on and turn them off. He, his unfailing love continues every day 
It continues to just pour out. The grace continues to be there for those who have a relationship with him. But man, if you're missing that. You know, Michelle and I have been talking about the world situation occasionally when the kids aren't around because we don't want to get them involved in some of the discussions that we've been having. And, you know, we gotta, I got to tell you, like, Michelle nailed it on the head the other day. We were driving. I think we were going somewhere. I don't even know where we were. We were in the car, and she made the comment. She said, you know, I don't know how people survive this pandemic and everything else that's been going on. I don't know how they survive without the hope of Jesus Christ in their lives. And I just sat there, you know, staring forward like, dang, you want to preach on Sunday? She's exactly right. I don't know how you take a hopeless situation and get any kind of hope when one minute these are allowed, one minute they're not allowed, one minute, to, you know, you think you have, you think you've defeated it and then they've changed the rules again. My, oh, my, what a roller coaster ride you must be on if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because one minute the world comes out and says, it's over, it's done with, this is what we're going to do, we're going to move on. The next day, they change all the rules and they say, now they're all back in again. I mean, if I had my hope in the world and in the government and in all this other stuff, I'd be lost. Wait, which way are we going? And so what God is saying here through David is, listen, you, your hope, your, your, your forgiveness is not up for grabs. It's not changing like COVID-19 is changing. It's not changing like everything is changing in our world. No, because why? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He doesn't change not one bit. And because of that, you have forgiveness in him. powerful number four step to restoration repentance is passionately pursuing god this is a scripture passage that got us got us thinking about this sermon create in me a pure heart O god and renew a steadfast spirit within me in order to return to a life cleansed from sin we must and i mean we must Look at our heart within us. If we want the reconciliation to continue, if we want our passionate pursuit of God to continue, we must turn our attention from our, to our inner attitude. It's not what we present on Sunday morning. It's not what we present on Monday through Saturday mornings. It's not what we present throughout the week. What's important here is what we are doing inside of our hearts. What does Jesus say to the Pharisees? He's very clear to the Pharisees. He says these words to them at one point in the gospel. He turns to them and he says, look, you look like beautiful whitewashed cemetery stones. You look like them. You, you look beautiful. I mean, you, you shine when the sun hits you. But inside, inside Pharisees, you're just a bunch of dead bones. You're black as black can be. 
you're hurting. But boy, you present well. You present well. Now, what I am not doing, and do not walk out of here feeling like I did do it, (laughs) is calling you all Pharisees. However, what I am doing is, have you checked your heart lately? Has it become black? Or full of sin? I mean, who would blame it? We've had a lot of jostling going on. We've had a lot of fights going on. I mean, just the other day I was at Target, and I tend to frequent Target a lot because what else do you do? (laughs) I go to Target, and, you know, I said to Michelle, everybody's so on the edge. And, and, you know, so I'm, I'm walking into Target, and in order to walk into Target from one part of their parking lot, you got to go across the entrance and go across the exit and go into the entrance, right? If you know what this Target looks like, you know what I'm talking about. If you're parked down this way in their parking lot, you have to walk across the entrance, the exit, to get to the entrance. And so I walk in front of the exit, and this guy stops his cart, and, you know, I hope he's not visiting today, but he yells at me. This is the exit, you know. Yeah, and I'm going to the entrance. Over there. I didn't say a word. You would have been so proud of me. I didn't say a dang word. I, I mean, I just looked at him, and I was just kind of like, going into the entrance. Not a word. But the whole way through, Target, it, it bothered me. And then this sermon, that was on, what day was that on? (laughs) It was sometime late in the week. It was on Friday, because I know why I went to Target. I went to buy a Philly shirt, because we were going to the Reading Phillies game that night. So on Friday afternoon, I just stood there with the Philly shirts and I almost cried. Now, somebody would have thought, well, he's a Phillies fan. He should be crying right now. (laughs) If you're a Phillies fan, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, I was crying because you got to be really hopeless to be mad at a guy for walking in the wrong door. You got to really be having a bad day to rip into somebody. I mean, this wasn't just a casual, this is the exit, you know. This guy wanted to make it abundantly clear I was breaking the commandment number 17. And if I didn't turn around and go out that door, I was going to go to hell in a breadbasket, in his opinion. I bring that all up because David here says, listen, you want to passionately pursue God. Check your heart. Because at first, I wanted, to, I wanted to respond. I wanted to tell him, you know, where heaven was. 
I bit my tongue. And I said, this poor guy. He must be really hurt. Here's the main call of verse 10. It's the presence of God. It changes everything in our lives. Want a passionate pursuit of God in your life? Continue to seek his presence in everything you do. It's the presence of God. Create in me a clean heart, a steadfast spirit. How do I continue to do that clean heart, steadfast spirit? You continue to do it by practicing the presence of God in your life. Can you imagine if David would have been doing this throughout his life? He wouldn't have done what he did. Now you say, well, maybe he would have. Yeah, maybe he would have, but Can you think about it? Like if he would have been actually practicing the presence of God, God is with me at every moment. Okay, now all of a sudden when I'm in the room with this woman who's not my wife, who's someone else's wife, who's in my army, now I'm realizing that God is with me at that very moment. See, I think some of the problem in America and in the world today, not even just in America, in the world today is, is that we've kind of compartmentalized everything. Listen, God, you, you stay over here, all right? Now listen, you stand here by this piano, I'm going to go and do all my stuff, and then I'm going to come back and get you, and then you can have a relationship, we can have a relationship together, we can talk and we can do all that, but you just stay right here by the piano, all right? For the rest of the week, you just stay here, I'll go do my thing, I'll come back and I'll get you. And then we go to walk away from the piano and he follows us. No, no, you don't understand. I want you to stay here. I want you to be in this compartment because I can't, I can't have you in my relationship compartment because I'm doing things with my girlfriend that I don't want you to see and do. I can't have you at work because I'm saying things and doing things to people that I don't want you to see and do. So I, I want to leave you at the piano for the week so that I can go and do what I want to do and not worry about what you're seeing. And all the way, God's saying, listen, I want to create in you a pure heart. I want to create in you a steadfast. It doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to live like this. You don't have to fall into that trap. You don't have to do the things that you're doing. And meanwhile, we just shove them off to the piano. Stay here for, just, just, just leave me alone. If we want reconciliation to continue, we have to. turn our attitude over to him we got to be able to like David says listen I messed up I realize I can't do it without you and I need your presence there's some application statements that I want you to look at Here's, here they are so what does this look like for us we need to be open to confrontation. Now, I thought about using a, a different word, maybe something a little softer, like community care. But I stuck with confrontation because it captures an urgency and an important part. 
It makes us the right kind of uncomfortable. We need to be open to being confronted. When hearing your sins on the lips of another, would you be opening, open to owning those sins on your own lips? It doesn't mean that everything you hear is automatically right. But would you honestly and humbly open before you would automatically pivot into self-defense? That's what we do, right? Someone comes up to you, a pastor or someone who loves you and cares about you, and they, they begin to start to tap on something that is just not You don't understand. I have it for a reason. doesn't mean you need to keep it. You know, it's, it's a well-documented, all you have to do is listen to my sermons, and my dad, if he's watching today, will probably turn in his recliner. But it's well-documented that the Kindigs, you know, we, we men in the Kindig family have this short fuse. It just takes one little light and I've watched Thanksgiving meals and Christmas meals go from zero to a hundred over 2.4 seconds. One comment. I've watched as the family has said goodbyes to each other and said we won't see each other the rest of our lives. They were that mad. That doesn't mean it needs to be brought into Michelle's life. That doesn't mean that Freddie and Serenity need to see it. Just because I was raised in it. See, God can do a new thing. God can do a good thing. If we let him. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to the congregation by saying it doesn't creep its ugly head every once in a while. But boy, if you would have known me 10 years ago, 20 years ago, this is nothing. It's by God's grace. But it was because some humble people in our denomination and in other places came alongside of me and put their hands around me and said, maybe you should go talk to someone. Now, I could have easily said, you know what, get out of my face. You just got to understand it's the way the K-I-N-D-I-G's handle things. Who are you to tell me that I need help? have done it but I was pretty broken when they came to me I was willing to hear the confrontation I was willing to accept the fact that yeah I probably need to talk to someone but would you be honestly and humbly open to that 
and be open to confronting. Listen to what David says. I will teach transgressors your ways. And David wasn't talking about evangelizing the non-Jews here. He was talking about those who, like himself, God's people, who knew the bounds but had crossed them. Now, here's where we go abundantly wrong. We take this confronting to a whole new constant fault-finding. So when we go and confront someone, then they turn around and point their finger and say, well, yeah, you're right, I am that way, and guess what? You have these 16 sins that you need to work on. That's what we do. Aren't we good at it? uh, I'm speaking for myself, but you know, my wife comes to me and says, you know, you don't, you really don't, she doesn't say this to me, but let's say she did. You know, you you brush your teeth and it kind of makes me sick. The way you just snort and do that kind of stuff while you're brushing your teeth. Yeah, well, you know what? You keep me up late at night because you snore the whole way through the night. Isn't that the way the conversation sometimes works? Come on, I'm not the only one that rolls like this. Yeah, you know what? You know what, wife? You want to point out my shortcomings? Let me tell you about your 15 shortcomings. Same thing happens in the church. You want to tell me about my shortcomings? You want to tell me about how I want to grow in Christ? Let me tell you about your 15 shortcomings, pastor. You don't do this right. You don't do that right. You don't do this right. You're right. That's why I pull the log out of my own eye before I go and confront your log. That's why we have to come humbly. Galatians 6, 1 instructs us, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Powerful. It's what David is saying at the end of this. David says, listen, that's the kind of guy I want to be. I want to be the guy that speaks life into people's situations. I want to be able to go into people's situations and say, listen, you know, I get it that you have a lot of transgressions, that you have a lot of issues, that you blew up, that you maybe did something with, your, with a person that you shouldn't have done it with, that you did all of these things, but I want to be able to walk into their lives and instead of pointing them down, instead of crushing their spirit, I want to bring new life out of that situation. It's my desire. Look, you want to crush people? Crush away. I think there's a whole lot of crushing going in our world. I think if the church of Jesus Christ wants to stand out, they ought to start looking at how to bring new life into people. There's enough judgment. There's enough pointing fingers. There's enough crushing spirits. But there isn't enough people walking into lives and saying, listen, I see you, I get you, I understand you. And here's what God can do for you. Mm. Occasionally, and I'm going to bring it down here just one minute. Occasionally I turn on YouTube and listen to a few brothers and sisters of mine that preach the word. Not from the EC church necessarily, any of them, or all of them, but 
There's one gentleman I tuned into this past week, and he was kind of, because I need that. I want to I help you understand why I do that. I, I need refreshing. And, you know, as much as listening to my sermons, it's what I prepared, it's what I did. But I need to hear from some other brothers. So this one brother was talking about how, you know, the situation that we find ourselves in with Afghanistan and all this stuff, and, you know, we can point fingers till we're blue in the face. It's not going to solve anything. He made a comment, and, and at first I wanted to fight back. I wanted to say, you're, you're, not, you're not right, dude. But I've let it sit in me a little bit. He said, I believe the, the solve to America's problem is small churches. I said, wait, what are you talking about? He said, I think, I think people are tired of the big stuff. The phonies. I think the solve of America's problem is when the small church gets on fire for Jesus. When people, he said these were this way, this way, this is, this is what caught my attention because I knew what I was preaching on on Sunday. When people in that church confess the way they've treated the bride. When they stand up and they realize that they haven't treated the bride with all the respect that's due her name. I wanted to fight back. Wait, wait a second, buddy. I've been in the pulpit of small churches by definition of under 70 or 100 for 20-some years. Don't you dare sit here and preach to me about respecting the bride. And then the bride <laughs> spoke to me. And how many times in those 20-some years did you sit in your office and say, I wish this getting together and how many times did you try to find the shortcomings in every place that you've served and how many times did you want to skip out when you got a chance to skip out and how many times were you unfaithful when you could have been faithful now Brett God speaking Tell me again how you've been faithful to the bride. How many times have you put down their people? How many times have you cursed about it? Whew. And see, I can come up with a laundry list of things. See, I can do what David didn't do there. I can come up with a laundry list of things that I can throw back at these people. You know what I had to put up with? <laughs> you know, that's what I wanted to do to God that day when he was sitting there in my office, like kind of just, remember when you weren't so, you weren't so loving with so-and-so? 
you weren't being faithful to the bride. And I wanted to fire back. I wanted to tell him, you know, you, you, know, you may not know this, and, and this is kind of confidential situations, but I, I just want to share with you that there have been times when I've been in the ministry that I've been sitting up here on stage, and I've been called names that you would, you would turn red about. Yes. One Sunday I was giving an altar call, and someone decided that was the perfect time to come up here and call me a name that would, you wouldn't even want to call anybody in your life during an altar call right there I sat I could have listed those things to God I could have said do you know what the stuff that I have to put up with sometimes so when you tell me that I'm unfaithful to your bride do you get it He doesn't want to hear my excuses. Are you faithful or aren't you? And so when God says to us in this scripture passage, listen, you want a passionate pursuit? You want all these dreams to come true? You want people in your life to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior before it's too late? Because guess what, people? The time's a ticking. It isn't going to be long. How about you confess? How about you come clean and say, you know what? I haven't been. I haven't been. And you know what? You're in good company because I'll be with you too. And I'd be willing to bet there's more in here that would say the same. Would you consider that? Not here, not now, not today. Just think about it. Think about it. Have you been faithful? You know, one of the reasons why we talk about the Afghan pastors and the exploding church in Afghanistan is because they're, they're not spoiled. We are, right? But here's the deal. Pastor Landon said something in his prayer, and I kind of caught my attention, and I'll, I'm going to kind of say it this morning. Again, you may not like me, but I have a sign in my, <laughs> I have a sign in my office that says, if you want people to like you, don't be a pastor, sell ice cream. Um, so I'll follow that sign this morning. How long do you think those freedoms are going to last here? When will be the time that the American pastors will be calling out for prayer to other countries? If we don't wake up. He did say we take it for granted, and he's right. Every day we do. The Afghan church is struggling. But yet it's growing. And they don't have one of these on every shelf in their bookstores. 
Some of them, this is a true story, some of them carry around two pages of these that they've ripped out of a Bible so that they can just have something hidden so that when the Taliban comes in, they can sit on it, they can shove it up their, their sides, do whatever, so that when the Taliban comes in, they don't find the word of God because if they find the word of God, you're done. You're probably done anyway when they find out what you were there doing. I don't want to spend much more time on this, but I just want to say that, friends, we better get serious about this. And we better start with our knees on the ground saying, Lord, listen, I've taken it for granted. I've taken it for granted. Because I fear we have. I have. And if I have, I don't mean this derogatory or anything, but if I have, the man who's trying to cruise the ship down the, the sea, I'm pretty sure many of you have. We've just taken it for granted. May we be like David and listen to me as I bring to you the word. And say, Lord, we've, we've sinned against you. We've sinned against your calling in our lives. But we know this. We know this. Your love is faithful. Your love sees beyond it. And it's not too late on August 22nd, 2021 to turn the ship. It's not too late. because of your unfailing love. So here's the kind of final call. Love one another enough to be confronted and to confront in love. Trust God that out of confrontation, he will delight to bring redemption. Out of his confrontation here in Psalm 51 came a wonderful redemption. David's life turned around. Wasn't always easy. So let us in humility be confronted and confront so that confession can restore us to the worship of God who redeems us. That's the call of this morning's message. You want a clean heart? You want a pure heart? You want a cleansed heart? Start with confession. Where have you left him on his side? Where have you put him second or third or fourth on the list. And be honest with him. Because here's the deal. <laughs> he already knows it. He's just asking you to be honest. He knew what David did. Why is David so blatantly honest with him in Psalm 51? Because David understands something about the heart of God. He understands that God knows everything, that God is big, he's strong, he knows everything, but God also wants to hear it from us. Because when we show him that we know what we've learned, when we show him that we know that we've done wrong in his eyes, there's something loving about that. How many of you have told your children and... and, and 
You know, school's starting tomorrow for my kids. Hallelujah. I've often told my son several times, he can attest to this. I've said, listen, if you have a bad day at school, you do something and you disrespect a teacher, I'm going to tell you this. It's going to go much better for you if you come home and admit it to me than I get a phone call 20 minutes later telling me that it happened. And do you know that over the past couple of years, I'm so proud of him, there's been many a times where he'll come home and he'll say, Dad, we were in music class and I lost my temper. Okay? So you're probably going to get an email from Mrs. I'll leave her name out of this. Okay. Thank you for telling me. Email comes in. We go have a little chat. It's over. Now, if I'm sitting at the supper table and he tells me, I had a great day at school today, Dad. Listen to the teachers and everything. And then my phone dings. And it's the music teacher saying he mouthed off to her. It doesn't go so well for him. That's when grounding happens, when video games are taken away. Our Father is just like that, friends. He wants us to be honest and to call us, call upon him when we have the chance. Let's pray together. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for laying this message on my heart. Thank you for, lists, for listing off those things that I need to work on. Thank you for hearing my confessions throughout this week. My confessions of pride where I thought I was better than I am. My confessions of um, missing the mark. My confessions of not being the best husband, father, pastor because I was unfaithful to you. Lord, may there be a, a breakout of confession over the next several days. May we all kind of take a look. This isn't about getting, you know, coming and spending 40 plus hours here. No, this is about what is our faithfulness? Where are we at? Do we take those freedoms that we have for granted? Do we live for God in all that we do, think, and say? Help us, Lord. Help us to confess to you those things where we've fallen short. It takes humility. And yes, Lord, it takes confrontation sometimes. Help us to take all of that in stride and to be better on the other side of this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've taught David and what you're teaching us about having a clean heart, a pure heart, and a steadfast spirit. For Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 